Hello, welcome to another week of the Fiber Coven podcast. We're so happy to talk with you, talk with each other about some yarny stuff and some witchy stuff. We usually kick it off with some news. And I think the only thing we've got coming up is that in late March on the 26th, there is going to be a charity drive that one of our patrons brought to our attention called the Knit for Food Knit-a-thon. And it sponsors a lot of American uh, nonprofit organizations like Meals for Meals on Wheels that support food insecure populations here in America. And uh, on that day, we will probably be having our next Discord hangout to support our patron and friend who is participating in the Knit-a-thon. So if you want to go to our show notes after you listen to this, you can find the link to support our friend Clara, who's participating in the Knit-a-thon, and stay tuned for more details on when we will be having our crafty hangout on Discord for patrons. Yeah. Is that about it? Hooray. Oh, we forgot to say who we are. I'm Lauren mm. from Valkyrie Fibers. <laughs> and I'm Emily from Kitty with a Cupcake. Fantastic. Now to talk about our yarny things we've made. I finished a thing that is not yarn. It is a small thing. I recently got a beading loom and I made another bracelet. Oh. Um, this one's a little wider and it's kind of low-key the NB Pride flag colors. There's yellow and purple and gray and white. And it's just a little like checkerboard design. And I like it and I'm practicing my skills at feed looming. And it's actually really nice. I have a friend who does um, social work and she specializes in working with teens. And um, I was showing her my stuff and she was excited. Like maybe the teens she works with uh, would like to try the craft. And then also they like bracelets and stuff. So my practice ones I can give to her to give to kids who might be like, you know, Aww. doodling around with uh, different identities. Cute. That's nice. Yeah. So that's what I made. Yeah. Yeah. What you been knitting on? Um, the thing I've been knitting on the most is my little my little shawl design that I've been working on. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this via text a bit yesterday, but I made a choice in my shawl. Mm -hmm. And so this is the Teal Torch Knits Guilty Pleasures mini skein set that I'm making this mm -hmm. shawl with. And it's very 90s. It's very neon. It's super fun to work with. I'm it just is. doing kind of a simple garter stitch heart-shaped shawl that I will publish probably for free for Fiber Coven members and for cheapies for everyone else. And mm -hmm. I just finished this first blue stripe. And I have two blue balls of yarn. And there are supposed to be two blue mini skeins in this mini skein set. But I think that the dye lot that I have in my set, they're either my darker blue is just too close to the lighter blue, or I think it's really possible that the dyer accidentally grabbed two of the same color that were like kind of separate from each other in the same color, but like they were in the same color because my mm -hmm. darker blue really doesn't look much like the picture. Uh, darker mm -hmm. blue on her Instagram, which mistakes happen. I am also a one person business, so I'm not like mad about this. I'm just explaining my choices. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I I wound up this next blue color and they looked close in the skeins. But when I was when I wound it up and like I'm holding it up next to them, it's too close. And yeah, there's more contrast between all of the other colors. So that is going to look like one weird big blue same color stripe if I knit mm -hmm. the second blue ball I started it 
literally couldn't tell the difference between my new stitches and the old blue mm-hmm. color stitches. So I just made the choice that I'm just not going to use the second blue color. Mm-hmm. It was a nine skein mini skein set. So it's going to be the same as a two skein shawl anyway with the mm-hmm. eight. So that's that's fine. It's fine. Yeah. So I'm going to go into this yellow next. And those are, those are my shawl related choices. But yeah, especially good. now that this is unwound and when I look at them together, I am like almost certain that they are the same colorway. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. And it'll be nice. You'll have a little mini for blanket food or accents on something else. Yeah. Um, and it's I mean, it's a 20 gram mini, so I could just like do heels. Mm-hmm, on a pair mm-hmm. of socks with it that would be cute um so it'll it'll totally get used but yeah I, th- I think it would have really bothered me to have the way too similar colors next to right. each other in the especially shop. the whole design is graphic stripes yeah yeah so i'm doing this yellow next um which mm-hmm. should be fun so, so you've I- done four stripes and you're halfway through exactly it looks gorgeous i love it thank you yeah, I've just been working on my two massive projects. Um, I've got my blanket that I literally wake up and I do my rose and I'm excited about it. It's so so this like is my heirloom temperature blanket. I love it so much. It makes me so happy. Um, it's mosaic crochet. I'm super happy with it. You can see I've got another couple inches. I'm enjoying the little rhombus design for February, but I'm eagerly anticipating doing a new pattern in March. I don't know the weather. It's been like cold a little bit. And uh, now we're starting to enter another uh, snowpocalypse. So I'm expecting the lows to get a little warmer because it has to warm up to snow. We shall see. Yeah. I'm so excited. I'm going to, I'm hoping for lots of like grays and blues during the snowstorm. Uh, Yeah. Super fun. It's getting big. It's getting big enough where I don't want to take it to knit group. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're going to need like a wagon to bring it to knit group eventually. (laughs) I I will. It's it's massive. It's so much fun. And then, uh, oh, you're working on a blanket. Did you bring it to show? I did bring my blanket to show. I am getting very close to being done with this color. Um, Mm -hmm. This is my northeasterly blanket that I'm knitting in the Fellowship of the Ring Advent that I got from Lantern Light Fibers this year. And I am on this little ball of old Toby. Mm-hmm. I really want to see how your next yeah. colorway knits up. Me too. I'm excited about it. So I just have that. that oh, little, it's like a walnut size ball. A little walnut ball left to do this like two inches. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this is... It's a fun one. I worked on it while I was editing stuff about Alistair Crowley. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Are you working on anything else or is the, those your main squeezes? Those are my main squeezes and then, you know, like drawing stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you want to hear about the things Emily is drawing, maybe you should check out our office hours for patrons. It's very cool. Oh my goodness. I also have been working on my poncho design. At your suggestion, I started making decreases in the hood so you could see my face. And I can now see that that was absolutely the right choice. Yay. You were right. You're a designer and I'm glad I trusted your professional expertise. I have, you can see that I did about six inches of hood. Mm-hmm. I've got like a foot of hood. It's ridiculous, but I want this to be a huge, spacious Jedi hood. I 
going to say I will have finished this hood by the next time we record. Yeah, I mean, you, you've made a lot of progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been doing a ton of knitting. Um, I wanted the hood to have a really nice texture to it. So I've been doing linen stitch, which is slowing me down, but I'm really happy with the result. I've been trying it on and I'm really happy with it so far. Um, I've started just going straight up the sides after I've decreased from a little base yeah, to pop it looks out. Like I re- you have enough room. Mm-hmm. And especially too, if it like sits open, it'll be enough space. It still just looks like a big oatmeal colored blob, but I love it. I've been trying it on all the time. It makes me very happy. What I am thinking is that you can see I've got a lot of stitches left on. This is a 40 inch cable and it pretty much goes all the way around the cable. I've got a lot of stitches, even though I've been decreasing. And I think that if I did the sort of short rows to form the hood that didn't allow for decreasing, this would be a lot for the top of the hood. So I think I'm going to do the sort of short rows that involve a little bit of decreasing so that my face hole isn't too enormous in this hood. That makes sense. What are your thoughts, boss? Yeah, I think think that's a good idea. Yeah, so like kind of a little bit of the style of short. Also, I think generally anytime you can change the shape to be more rounded instead of like blocky squares it's gonna probably work out a little bit better as a garment mm-hmm. yeah so i'm gonna do this style of decreasing like for a traditional heel flap and gusset but kind of lay out the stitches a little yeah laid it laid out a different way a little bit but that sort of style so where you're changing the shape and direction of the knitting but also doing a couple decreases and not yeah alignment. i it definitely hasn't been keeping me up at night thinking about this. Okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, have, I, I have a hard time sleeping and things get creative. When something creative gets into my brain, I have a hard time sleeping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but I'm stoked. I am just loving it. Yeah, this hood has already eaten up a full skein of yarn. I'm onto my second skein. Mm-hmm. But I'm so happy. I'm going to be so happy with my big spacious Jedi hood. Yeah. Uh, yep that's all i've been making cool you said you acquired a thing i got a small thing a small thing a small thing i ordered a fidget toy Mm -hmm. that i saw on the tiktok and it's from Mm -hmm. ziddy makes z-i-d-d-y makes and it's a little little keyboard clicky fidget it's very pleasing it's very much your aesthetic so it's just a little 3d printed base and it has real keyboard switches on it Mm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's what makes the clicky material and it just has cute little pastel buttons they're very like pastel candy colors i like them and Mm -hmm. it's a little bit loud obviously because it's so clicky Mm -hmm. but it's very pleasing and it's like cute and aesthetic and i thought it'd look cute in like some pictures with my pins Mm -hmm. it's adorable but yeah, That's it's awesome. Fun to, it's fun to poke. I see that. I want to poke it. I would play with it if I was in your office with you. Mm-hmm. And I did. They, he, um, they, I don't know the pronouns of this person, but they have a website and an Etsy. And I got this bar shaped one 
because mm-hmm. you can kind of hold it on the bottom with your thumb and then poke all four keys with your fin- four fingers, which is pleasing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also make like an X shape one. They mm. make one that's like basically a cube where each side of the cube is a clicky. Oh. Um, they make one that's shaped like a grenade where all of the edges of the grenade are <gasps> clickies. So I can't very, very look. cute stuff. Would recommend. Cool business. Will be linked in our show notes for sure. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. So we charge through our knitting content. Much like the last couple weeks, we are low on the knitting content, but high on the occult corner content. We really stumbled into a vein of history that's, that's very linked with itself. That is just fascinating. And I definitely like hyper fixated on it. So if you've been playing along and listening in chronological order, the last couple of weeks, we talked about Alistair Crowley, the wickedest man in the whole world. Was that what he was called? The wickedest man in the world. Yes. 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 So he was an English occultist. Go and check out our last two episodes for history on him. And we're going to talk kind of a ideological descendant of his here on the West Coast in America in a two-parter that I am calling Jack Parsons, rocket scientist, occultist, messy bitch. I am so excited to talk about this guy. Um, This is largely taken from Wikipedia, but there's been several biographies on him as well as some podcast episodes. At the end of part two, I'll list those off and they'll be in the show notes as well. So part one is going to be a lot of blowing stuff up and with like a little side helping of occultism. And part two is going to be a ton of occultism with a little side helping of explosions. Okay. Set my Um, explosion expectations. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So let's see here. I am not, this guy was one of the first rocket scientists and I am not going to get into all the things like he pioneered liquid or solid rocket fuel. Like I'm not going to get into the science. Um, I'm just kind of, kind of gloss over the scientist and science stuff and more focus on his life, which is fascinating enough. Okay. So this guy was born as Marvel junior Whitesides Parsons on October 2nd in 1914 in Southern California. But his parents got divorced when he was early, and perhaps his mother didn't like uh, calling her son the same name as her former partner and started calling him John, which devolved into Jack. And I will call him Jack Parsons from here on out. So his name was Marvel, like Marvel Comics? Yes, his name was Marvel Jr. Wow, okay. Right? Interesting from the get-go. Yeah, born in 1914, and... I really get the sense that he was that sort of kid who picked up the big book of like illustrated mythology and was never the same again, like sort of like in addition to being interested in fabulous tales and fiction, um, also the sort that saw that and was like, oh, the religion we have now is the same as then. It was made up by people and changed by time. So maybe like putting a seed of doubt about modern religious institutions in there, which is like really identifiable. That happened to me as a child. And he was a bookish loner who liked mythology and folklore and sci-fi. Like he grew up in the time of Jules Verne's writing. And, you know, some people say that he might've been dyslexic, but I don't really think so. Cause he liked books so much. Or perhaps he be, just like, you can be dyslexic and like books. It's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. But Uh, In any case, he wasn't the sort of person that performed well within the rigid academic structure of, you know, 
early 1900s America. But he was a bookish loner who was into like weird stuff and didn't get good grades. And he was bullied for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, He made one friend, Edward Foreman, who would be a lifelong friend who was a working class kid. And that kind of stopped him from getting the crap kicked out of him every day, which was good. And he soon found out that blowing things up in your backyard with your one friend was a great way to spend your time. (laughs) (laughs) And in his teenage years, in the 20s, he did experiments with, quote unquote, amateur rocketry. Okay. And (laughs) yeah, him and his buddy, uh, Edward Foreman, were constantly trying to shoot things into the air in their backyard, just like blowing holes in the backyard constantly. And their interest always was was in space exploration and not warfare. So eventually his mom started worrying about the increasing number of holes in her backyard. And she sent him to a military boarding school in Southern California, which he got expelled from for blowing Blowing up the toilets. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Got, got to get advanced to get kicked out of military boarding school. Right. Yeah. And then eventually in the 30s, the Great Depression hits and it takes its toll on the family fortune. It uh, happened to a lot of people. He couldn't afford college and he probably didn't get a scholarship because although he was so intelligent, he he wasn't the sort that scored well on tests and got good grades. Yeah, didn't, didn't um, have an impressive transcript. Exactly. He did in during the Depression succeed at an alternative style university, but not within like the rigid academic structure. Um, And he also started working at the Hercules Powder Company. So all of the working he does is either with like explosives, gunpowder, like chemical stuff. Like he he cannot do anything professionally, but blow things up. And Mm -hmm. I really respect him for knowing what he wanted and doing it. Yeah. So we're going to start talking about what he did in the mid 30s, kind of from about 1934 to 1938, when he was about 20 to 24 years old. And he was a founding member of the Galset Rocket Research Group. And that acronym stands for the Guggenheim Aeronautical Laboratory of the California Institute of Technology. I will not be saying that again. (laughs) Um, And this is the scientific organization that eventually becomes JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is still a thing. Uh, down in Southern California. And basically it starts because Jack Parsons and his friend Edward Foreman really, really, really want to play with Caltech's toys. But they're not students or faculty or anything like that. They're just a couple of very interested amateurs in their early 20s. They are talking with all the professors and pioneers in rocket science. So they've like letter writing and like attending their lectures and things like that. And they eventually get introduced to Frank Molina, who is a PhD PhD student in mechanical engineering and mathematics. And they those are the three forming members of the Rocket Research Group. And they formed this like really rad egalitarian non-hierarchical research group. And it worked really well at first because we have Jack Parsons, whose interest and strength is in like chemistry and explosives. And then Edward Foreman, who's a machinist, and then Frank Molina, who is an engineer and mathematician, as well as an academic insider. So he knows the structure of, you know, the university stuff. Mm-hmm. And they all, again, had this mutual interest in space exploration, but they had to keep that secret because this was the mid 30s and they didn't want to get laughed out of Caltech, whose toys they still very, very much wanted to play with. They were also into smoking marijuana and discussing anti-capitalism. Nice. 
they were also known on the Caltech campus as the Suicide Squad because of all of the dangerous explosions that they caused. Yeah, that's probably fair. (laughs) Yeah. In 1935, when he is 21 years old, Jack Parsons marries Helen Northrup, and he keeps pouring all of his money into his research and the rocketry experiments. This is during the Great Depression. So the university is allowing them access to their physical resources, but they don't have any funding. And this time to fund his life, you know, you know, a household and his rocketry research, he starts selling homemade nitroglycerin to make ends meet. I was about to say when you were talking about the Suicide Squad thing, like, sounds like if this had happened currently, they would have had a meth lab in the garage. Yeah, I mean, this is not the, like, we'll we'll, we'll talk about amphetamines again at some point. Okay. Um, But he's not selling drugs. He's selling homemade explosives. Selling them to who, you might ask? We don't know. Jack wasn't a snitch. Good on him. <laughs> He did have uh, anarchist leanings, let's just say. Yeah. Eventually, the rocketry research group expands to include more scientists who are Marxists and leftists. And uh, Jack Parsons actually joins the ACLU in the 30s, which is so early in the ACLU, uh, but never officially joined the Communist Party, even though he worked with a lot of scientists who were card-carrying communists. In 1937, when he was 23 years old, This part I find absolutely fascinating. He testified as an expert forensic witness against Earl Kynette for attempted murder. And this guy, Earl Kynette, was head of police intelligence for Los Angeles, whatever that means, back in the 1930s. And he was accused of the attempted murder of Harry Raymond, who was a former LAPD detective who was fired because he was a whistleblower against police corruption. And so, yeah, a car bomb had been set off in an attempt to murder Harry Raymond. And Jack Parsons made a replica car bomb and set it off, I'm sure, under controlled like settings, not in the courtroom or anything. And everybody was very impressed. And this helped secure the conviction of attempted murder for Earl Kynette. So this was a really cool thing to do at 23 years old. And he has no degrees. He is affiliated with the university, but like not a graduate. I just think that's really cool that he was the expert witness for this mm-hmm. for this trial. So eventually in 1939, when Jack Parsons is around 25 years old, he started getting government funding for his rocketry research because there was a little kerfluffle starting up in Europe. And I'm sure the U.S. government was very interested in making sure we had rockets. And because of this, he became their group became the focus of a little more government scrutiny. And he had to professionally distance himself from the more politically radical scientists that he was working with which was a bummer. And he had to use some of that first like military contract grant grant money to repair the damage that he had caused to the Caltech campus. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. And they eventually get him an offsite place to blow things up in the Arroyo Seco canyons, which is probably smart on Caltech's part. Mm -hmm. It's also in 1939 that his wife, Helen takes him to a Thalemic Gnostic mass, which we talked about in the previous episodes And Jack Parsons was already familiar with some of Crowley's writings and he associated magic, like what Crowley was talking about with quantum physics and basically science that we didn't fully understand yet. And a lot of scientists still feel the same way about unexplained phenomena. It's just science that we don't understand yet. 
And if you like take a peek back in history, alchemy was very much a blending of science and magic just because we didn't understood, but we knew experimentally, like when you combine these things, it makes this. Mm-hmm. So he was, you know, he knew that like the bonds or like the, the border between the unexplained and science was very nebulous. Yeah. So they kind of are interested in the Gnostic mask and polemic practices, but they don't officially join the OTO temple in South Lake, South Lake. I live in South That's Atom, where you live. Southern California <laughs> in SoCal. Yeah. They don't officially join until 1941. It's called the OTO temple in Southern California. It's called the Agape Lodge. And that ran from 1935 to 46. Agape and- just makes me think of Yuri on ice. <laughs> Absolutely. So there's a very funny behind the bastards episode on all this that is happening. I am sorry. My husband is pounding on something. Can you hear it? Yeah, I can. Should we pause? Probably. Excellent. So in 1941, Jack Parsons and his wife, Helen, they joined the Agape Lodge, which is the official OTO temple in Southern California. And everybody there is very quickly impressed with Jack Parsons because he's brilliant and charismatic and super into sex magic. And he becomes pen pals with Crowley and they develop a mentor-mentee relationship. They never met in person, but they did correspond a ton. And Jack Parsons was deeply interested in OTO and Thelema. He liked the focus on individualism and the free, it was, I'm sure it was called free love back then, but we think of it now as polyamory or open relationships. He was super into that and super dug all the sex magic that Aleister Crowley's religion did. Also in this year, Jack's wife, Helen, goes on vacation and Jack Parsons, who is 27, starts an affair with someone new. And you'd think that was okay because they were in an open relationship. But the problem was the person that he chose to start a romantic relationship with is Helen's 17-year-old sister, Sarah, also known as Betty. Oh, so many problems with that. So many (laughs) problems. So he's 27 and she's 17. It is not the worst thing I've ever heard, but it's still grossly illegal. It was illegal then. And uh, it's still illegal now, and it's bad. And the sister? Bad. Yeah. Yeah. Poor form. Poor form. So essentially, Helen comes home to her teenage sister saying that she's Jack's quote-unquote new wife, and that causes problems. (laughs) But relatively soon after that, Helen starts a relationship with the leader of the OTO temple, Wilfred Talbot Smith, and that they seem to be really well suited to one another. And they stay together for the rest of um, Smith's life. And like there was a you know, I'm sure there was a period of turmoil while all the dust was settling there. But eventually things do settle down and everybody's in a situation that is a little more, a little better. Like Helen finds a stable partner and I'm assuming uh, Sarah eventually turns 18 and it becomes legal for her to be in a relationship with an adult. So moving on in 1942, this rocketry research group founds Aerojet as well, which is a company which still exists. Leave and they start selling rockets to the U.S. military. 
because their options were pretty much collaborate with the U.S. military or be drafted because they were just uh, employees of the university. They weren't students or professors. But they've always been anti-fascist, so they're morally okay with lighting up the axis. Mm-hmm. And because of this government military contract money, essentially, he starts getting good money and he's Jack Parsons is absolutely pouring his personal pay, not embezzling, I don't believe, but he's pouring his personal money that he's he's now getting that good government contractor money into the OTO temple and into Crowley's upkeep back in England or Europe or wherever Crowley's bouncing around to. I think he's in England uh, at this time. And we we talked about this in the Crowley episodes, but like for the end of Crowley's life, because he dies in 1947, I believe, Jack Parsons is directly funding his life situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's interesting to know that uh, the money that was keeping Aleister Crowley fed was money from the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> The money that went into the founding of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Great. (laughs) Yep, yep. And at this point, he is using a fruit cocktail of drugs. He's doing a little cocaine. He's doing some amphetamines. He's doing some opiates. He's doing some hallucinogenics. He's just going balls to the walls with the drugs. And he's having a hard time keeping the science part of his life separate from the occultism part of his life like you do. And he has been known to recite one of Crowley's poems, the hymn to Pan during rocket tests. And, you know, at this point we have all these like staunch, like Coke bottle glass, chain smoking, starched white shirt scientists, just like staring at Jack Parsons while he's leaping around citing Crowley poems during rocket tests. And just like, man, that guy's got a screw loose. (laughs) So this will be a problem for him at a later date but not exactly right now because we're still in a war and we're not sure who's going to win this thing and they need every genius they can get. And also around 1942, Crowley wants to replace Smith with Parsons as the head of the OTO temple in SoCal. And there is definitely some like inside politics going on. It's kind of messy. I didn't want to get into too much of it. But basically Crowley's like, no, Smith, I did your birth chart and you're definitely a god and you should take a like a leave of absence and hermetic like thought to like pursue your godhood and we'll just put jack parsons in charge of the lodge yeah you got and then time for you to get your religious book dictated to you by an otherworldly being yeah so some stuff like that and just some like some massaging of egos all around between crowley and smith and parsons goes on and at this point uh helen and the smith move out and they have a kid of their own And Jack Parsons assumes leadership of the Lodge. And I think that is where we're going to wrap it up for part one here. And uh, so it's like the first good chunk of Jack Parsons' life. He's doing rocket experiments. He's doing drugs. And he's the head of a sex magic club in Southern California. What more could a man in his late 20s want? What could go wrong? What could go wrong? I mean, there's sex, drugs, magic, explosions. I mean, clearly everything's going to go perfect from here on out. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So come and listen to next week's podcast. We want to hear about the second half of Jack Parsons' thrilling life. It is very exciting. And uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Awesome. So we're going to do a little bit of shameless self-promotion and then be on our way. And hopefully we'll see you next week. Yeah. 
What you got to promote, my friend? I am going to have a shop update with the long-anticipated fairy pocket pin set and fairy pocket bag and prints in early March. Sign up for my email newsletter. Follow me on the social medias if you want to know when the exact date of it is when I announce it. Some sauce. So if you're looking for us anywhere around the internet, just head on over to fibercoven.com. That'll have links to my yarn, Emily's Merch and Patterns. It'll have links to our Patreon where we do a whole nother podcast. It's fun and we get to curse. (laughs) And we have a really rad group of Discord people in our Patreon group. So yeah, head on over to fibercoven.com to find any of that, including show notes for what you just heard. And until next week, Coven, keep making yarn magic. Bye. Bye.